This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking Flutes with me, Jean-Paul Wright. The reason I'm laughing is I we've already started, Claire and I have already started this podcast three times, and I actually forgot to turn on my recording machines. <laughs> so this is the third time we've begun this. And uh, I'm taking the, the lead on this one because Claire says I have a fancy microphone. I don't. I just have a boom that's over the top. And Claire's joining me from Hove in the beautiful East Sussex in the seaside town and I'm in Tunbridge Wells we're, I, we're in different parts of the country basically because I'm having my roof done today we've got a leaking chimney to make sure that the builders are kept happy with tea coffee and cake how lovely I am and Claire's looking resplendent in her beautiful house down in Hove hi Claire hi JP this is the third time we've done the beginning of this I'm trying to think of something different to say to you but yes here we are Thank goodness for the the wonders of Zoom that we can do our podcast. And we've done an awful lot of them, 250 or more. And we're keeping going, which is great. And people seem to be very happy with what we're doing. And I think I was saying for one of our early intros is that we've reached the age and the number where we can sort of say what we think. Yeah, absolutely. In the nicest possible way. Yeah, and that's interesting, this world, isn't it? Because everybody tries to be very nice and very encouraging. But sometimes, and we did a pod, you did a podcast on this, which is talking about being truthful. And we've got this extensive list that we've created of 21 questions that we're going to throw out to each other over the next few weeks. And some of which are coming from our own personal experience and our own probable, probable biases through teaching and playing. But why not cover these things, such as moving when you play the instrument? That's just one of them. That won't be today because that's further down. So, yeah, we've got all these extensive questions. And should we jump straight in? Yeah, you jump in, JP. Give us the first question. Number one, first question today. Is it necessary to study music theory to become a proficient flute player? Or can you rely solely on practice and performance experience? Over to you, Professor. Well, it's very kind of you, JP. So music theory. Music theory, um, when I first think of music theory, I remember those, my very early days of a little red book called The Rudiments of Music, which um, was full of the basics of music theory. And you had to, in order to do, this was part of the Associated Board, uh, Royal Associated Board Schools of Music, which did exams, as still do exams, of course. And once you'd reached out of the eight grades, once you'd reached grade five, I think, you had to do grade five theory in order to do a higher practical exam. So I remember trying desperately to learn all these facts and bits of information because I'd I'd never really come across it before. I'd only ever been sort of taught the rudiments of music, but nothing too involved. And of course, as a flute player, you tend to look, certainly when I was very young, and a lot of young players do, tend to look just at that one line. And flute music, I suppose, in a sense, is it's one-dimensional being just that one line. So it is common for instrumentalists just to only look at that line and not work 
maybe from the school. So what is music theory? It's as it helps us understand and communicate music or the language of music. And I think in order to understand the music, you need some degree of knowledge, not just for interpretation, but just to see how the music is constructed. And then it helps you in terms of your interpretation, because when you learn about harmony and how harmony progresses and what chords come after another and what that feels like. So when you've got bass, let's go very, very basic. If you've got five, one, chord five, four, chord one, it sounds like an end. If you've got chord one, then chord five, it doesn't sound so much like an end. Understanding what's going on helps us interpret the music. And so when you work from the score, music theory helps you understand what's going on. I think that my knowledge of theory was just, it was a little bit drip feed over the years. It wasn't anything really formal, not even at my last years at school when I did the A-level music, which is our last years of school, the exams you do there. I didn't have much theory. It was sort of learning about composers and writing simple bits of four-part harmony, but without, I didn't have much knowledge. It was really the same when I went to college and then it got, of course got a, a lot more intense and more involved and I had to work an awful lot harder to understand. So I think that basically music theory is an absolutely essential part to help us understand and communicate and that will enable us to be a much better musician not necessarily a better flute player because that's something else entirely but it helps us be a much better musician and of course that knowledge will help us not only in the performance but in the practice so you practice in a different way because you're thinking about how the music is moving forward, why it's moving forward, why it's come to a full stop, why it feels really dark, why it feels really happy. So we're not just talking about melody here in music theory, we're talking about uh, the rhythm and the harmony and the, the pitch of it, the construction. And then you can get more advanced topics, which is the modes, the, the, the scale modes that are being used, counterpoints or any contemporary techniques that have been chucked in just to help us along the way. So successful interpretation comes to the knowledge of the musical instruction of each piece, and that comes from learning about music theory. Well, that was very condensed, wasn't it? Yeah, over, <laughs> over and out. <laughs> All I can say is if Jacob Collier was around when I was young, then I would have really got into musical theory because... He just has this, not only is the guy a genius, I, mean, I, th I actually think he's an alien, he's that clever, but he has an ability to be able to sort of stimulate people's enthusiasm about theory and how theory works in a practical way. And if any of you out there, and I doubt if any of you, many of you haven't heard of him, go and check out Jacob Collier. Just type, type Jacob Collier YouTube. The guy is an absolute genius. But... Going back to when I passed my grade five and I had to do my grade five theory, I really didn't like theory. I didn't understand the, what was I, 10? I didn't understand why I should have to do it. It was boring. It was looking at blobs on sticks and looking at triads and flute only played the top line. But I had <coughs> to do it to go any higher. 
my teacher was trying to teach me theory and I'd go home and he'd give me homework and I'd cheat and come back the next week and oh you've done really well okay you're ready for your theory so he put me in for my theory and of course I wasn't but in those days and we're talking oh crikey nine early 70s it wasn't in an examination style where you had a desk 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 we went to this big house that was a sort of a teaching conference thing and it was a big uh, round table and everyone was sat around the table and we we're sat next to each other all i can say is i passed my grade five theory not because of my ability with theory is just that a seven-year-old that was sat next to me was whizzing through it i just copied so i passed grade five <laughs> theory through copying and through cheating that came back to bite me years later when i didn't understand the rudiments i didn't understand cadences perfect cadences play plagal cadences i didn't understand as you said the textures and why when you hear something that translates into how you interpret as a musician so you're exactly right. They go hand in glove. We do need to sort of break away. It's like maths. I'm sure some people find mathematics really, really interesting, stimulating and see colours and they can see stories and textures. I never could. I could just see numbers and sort of the numbers will go. But a right teacher in anything can stimulate enthusiasm. And if you can find some joy, some passion into understanding the roots of music, then not only will your compositions be better your improvisation and we spoke about that a while ago the ability to improvise if you're understanding chordal structures you can improvise so much easier because you know the patterns so that's my that's my one admission on live online is i cheated in my grade five theory <laughs> and i don't think i've ever told I, I probably have dined out on that, that statement a few times but um is it necessary to study music theory to become a proficient flute player Actually, I do believe it is. I think it is the understanding of structures and how they envelop the whole composition, the whole narrative of what the composer wanted. If you don't have that understanding, literally you're interpreting that blob on a stick and it then becomes simply a mathematical equation. Yeah, one other thing I think we should mention is that for me, that music theory all those years ago felt like an academic subject. Yeah. And it didn't have much bearing on the music I was playing. It wasn't linked. Yeah. You know, it was just a case of you need to learn these rules, but it wasn't linked to what I was playing. And also the thing that's not was wasn't linked to that was my ear training or anyone's oral training. And I think that, that music theory, this big umbrella, needs to include not just the learning of the rules, but also hearing what happens it's very very important that you develop your ear and my ear training didn't start till I was so old that it, it became almost an impossible thing it really it held me back uh, when I was at college because my ears just weren't trained and since I've started trying to teach myself the guitar I've realized that if only everyone had to learn the guitar before anything else, from an early age, that would train their ears and help them understand about how music is put together, we'd all be in a much better place. I would agree. The, the importance of chords and understanding chordal structure, which is the foundation of music, of all composition really, is it's, it, it's such a vital part. And, okay, we found out too late in life 
but it, it isn't. I'm sure everyone can find, as I said, Jacob Collier can explain the joy in composition. And if we can all find a bit of interest, then your interpretation and your understanding when you're listening to the piano or you're listening to an orchestra and you can understand how the composer's cleverly flipped the chords or why he's actually finished in this way. I think it's important to study music theory and have a working knowledge. You don't have to be an academic, but understand what you're playing and why it's been written like that. Yeah, and I saw a Jacob Collier clip on YouTube where he's talking about these fundamentals of theory and he made it so exciting. I think that maybe that's the one you were referring yeah. to. I don't know how I found it. So maybe I'll go and have a little hunt and put it on our Facebook page if I can find the, the link because, you know, I got excited about it again and I'm really old. So just hearing him talk to an audience and basic, it's just basic knowledge. And you go, how clever to, to put it across like that. He's, a, he's an absolute genius. He is. Oh, is that, is that your dog or is that mine? Yes, no, that's mine wanting to come in and I'm hoping Ross going to let her in. Oh, yes, door is open, she's in. We're okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So you agree with me, the study of musical theory to become a proficient, and that's the key, proficient flute player, it's quite important or very important to have a working knowledge of music theory. Yes, because you said, or can you rely solely on practice and performance experience? Well, practice... And performance, of course, can get you way ahead. But if you don't understand what you're doing, I mean, quite often you go and hear recitals where you think they don't actually understand this music at all, or it, it, everything sounds the same. There's nothing to do with, you know, different eras, different styles, different interpretation. So, yeah, theory. Yep, know your theory and go and visit Jacob Collier. Next question. Should flute players be required to memorise their music for performances or is it acceptable to use sheet music or a tablet for reference? Over to you, Prof. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a topic that gets people worked up, isn't it? Okay, the short answer and then the long answer. So the short answer is personally that I think it's okay to use whatever method suits the player as long as the the use of the sheet music or the tablet, that's a lovely new addition, doesn't interfere with the communication. Now, when I was in my first year at college, playing from memory was never mentioned until a week before my end of year exam. Gosh. And then we were told that the exam was going to be from memory. That's just my first year exam, you know, where I needed to pass. And of course I totally panicked because I could play my pieces really well. I'd worked so hard but never practiced the whole thing from memory. Memory had never been mentioned. Okay, maybe I was naive that it never occurred to me. And of course, when I first started the flute, I played without music. The first things I played were without music. But then you get into the treadmill of, you get your first book and then you get your next book and you're playing off music all the time. Your teachers use music and memory didn't sort of come into it, into anything, not all those years ago. So the problem with my first year exam was that this absolute fear of having to play these pieces without that music stand in front of me. And so, of course, I, I remember, um, I still remember to this day, the second movement of the Poulenc Sonata, and I got the, the second note wrong and I just stopped. And luckily on the panel was this wonderful chap, one of the deans of the college. And he said, you know, Claire, you don't have to do this from memory. And I went, huh? 
<laughs> we've been told we have. So he said, just put, get the music. So I got the music and, and then I was, I was absolutely fine. That was one experience. The other experience was at that particular college that all concertos with the college orchestra had to be played from memory. But I won a con the concerto auditions. They'd, in the concerto auditions, you, anyone could apply. There were loads, loads and loads of people and they graded them A, B, C, D. A was two or three people who would play a public concerto. B says you might get a public concerto, but you'll get a rehearsal. C, you were a standby in case they could do it. Anyway, so that's how it worked. So all concertos had to be played from memory. I won the concerto auditions every year for four years, never from memory, because I proved to the panel they would never be aware that I was looking at the music. Ah. Because I performed with the music front. And I remember I remember them being skeptical because I went in with my sheet music and my music stand and the whole panel looked at me. But I won the concerto for four years running. So I proved that it's not about what there is in front of you. It's about how you communicate the music that's there. So I think that for me then, my earliest memory that first year scared me. And I had a really bad experience and it influenced me throughout my playing career that I couldn't play from memory. That was in my head, I can't do it, I can't do it. What I didn't let the thought come into my head was I couldn't do it because I wasn't prepared. If you can play something from memory, you have to prepare. I mean, since then, of course, I've played many pieces from memory. I've also done lots of competitions where that you have to learn sort of like five rounds all from memory. Done all that, I can't say I've ever felt comfortable because I didn't start early enough and it also was made to feel like it was a big deal it's not a big deal it's just it's like it's, it's like anything you learn at an early age it should be part of your learning experience but not something to be frightened of and I think it was when you're pushed into a corner to do it and it goes wrong then you develop a phobia about it and that certainly was was my my problem. So my recommendation is you do whatever makes you feel comfortable and try and practice away from the music stand as much as you can so that you can concentrate on other things like the sound you're producing, the technique you've got, the pitch, the shape of the phrases, how you go interpret. But you don't need to stare at the music all the time. And of course, I did that, but I didn't translate that into the confidence that then I could actually get up in front of people and also play it without the music. What do you think? I've done both, but I've also gone wrong in playing without music. I was a, uh, you, you knew me a long time ago, I was quite a cocky flute, male flute player. Uh, many, when I was Never. Much, <laughs> when I was much younger. And playing by memory, I just thought was, was quite easy if you'd done the work and I didn't have that sort of fear of going wrong because I just let myself play until the opening of the Brisbane Opera House got oh, cracky in 1985 uh, I was playing this piece of music and I went wrong in the cadenza I didn't know where I was I didn't know the leading note I didn't know where to get the conductor to sort of bring back in the orchestra and you mentioned phobia I got this panic because I suddenly started to try to think 
what I'm meant to be doing rather than let my body do it and you know from that day onwards I never played without music because I was scared of the re inner reaction I had it was fine I got I, the conductor came in I eventually got to the leading note which held before the orchestra started but I knew and I knew that it was my panic trying to rationalise what I was doing trying to remember the music which is the worst thing you can do when you're trying to play by memory and since then I've only ever played with music but I do live I'd never thought about like you've just eloquently put it put your music stand in a position where if you need it as a comfort blanket it's there but your whole performance is still to the audience or to the panel or to the jury or to the examiner so you're not hiding behind the stand because for me that is the big the big problem if someone is hiding behind the stand really I'm just getting the sound I'm not getting this mix of visual and auditory experience yeah it can't be a barrier if it's a barrier then obviously it doesn't work but I was thinking just then as you were talking that there's a tradition for string players and pianists to always play from memory yeah but not necessarily for instrumentalists but then we have to remember that circus flute players were different because we can't see what we're doing when I could always play from memory on the piano Oh. because I had I had the visual memory to go along with the musical memory and the same with string instruments you can see what your hands are doing where they're going so you've got that extra help in terms of remembering but on the flute you can't see and I think the same for oboe or clarinet because the instrument's out in front of you there's a visual element of that memory which is really important well, I'm always after excuses, so having my hands at the side certainly gives me the adequate excuse. But I never got back. I, I've played by memory, uh, obviously at home or in a practice room or warm-up area, but I've never actually gone out uh, to play without music. I, I don't mm -hmm. hide behind it, but also don't push it further back like you've suggested and just having it there if you need it. Because ultimately, if you're going to perform, you would have done your preparation and mm. most of that should be muscle memory anyway and your connection shouldn't be with the sheet music it should be with the pianist or the orchestra or the symphonic band or whatever Claire, I think we've come to the end of the podcast this week Yep, that was a good one Thank you JP Yeah, the idea is so Jacob Collier for music theory yes. and obviously yes. understanding your music theory and the other part, part is if you can memorise and be totally comfortable in doing so then feel free to do so but don't let the need or the requirement to have to memorize stop your enjoyment and ability to perform in front of a public or an examiner or a panel yes you need to always feel you've got the freedom to communicate so any way that you can aid your performance to help you communicate then use that i mean some people find they take the music away and they're free to communicate others don't but we're all different so you have to go with what you feel comfortable with and on the radio or when you listen to a an audio track an mp3 or even us old farts out there that listen to cds do you know if the person's playing by memory or playing by music no <laughs> all you're doing is hearing the music so yeah good point good point <laughs> claire lovely to speak to you i'm gonna dial Thank back you. i'm gonna dial back in in a couple of minutes and we'll do the next bit which is, well, some more contentious questions, I believe. I think it is. Thanks, JP. And thank you all for joining us this week on Talking Flutes. Wishing you a great week ahead. 
and may your low C be especially in tune. Because mine never is. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.